Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Modern minds see the Bible as ancient myth. Water can't turn to blood. Frogs from heaven? A wall of water? That's impossible. This summer, discover the science behind the scripture. How y'all doing? Good to see you guys. Special welcome to those of you in New Brunswick watching, listening online. Today we come to the final week of our series on science and scripture, and particularly their role in the Exodus. And it's been kind of interesting, yeah? Gotten some great reaction from a couple different groups of people. Two people I talked with, uh, one after a service. One was actually a a uh, 60-something older uh, woman. I shouldn't have said that. I instantly regret that. Uh, she was a mature woman, a mature believer, and she actually said, uh, Pastor Tim, I've been going to church for over 40 years. I've heard uh, hundreds of sermons on the Exodus, but I've never heard this stuff before. And that was very interesting to me because the other guy I spoke with is, is actually a college grad who was a biology and philosophy major. It was his first time here at Liquid, and he said, this is amazing. A friend invited me, and I never imagined that science could be compatible with spiritual faith, let alone talk about that in church. So great. That's the whole goal, uh, really to simplify, simply introduce some of the possible theories or, uh, and not explain Exodus in like natural terms, but really to demonstrate that a fully orbed faith balances both faith and reason. These are not enemies, guys. It's not either or. That's how a lot of people approach it. It can either be analytical or kind of mystical, but a generous orthodoxy holds the two things in tension. In fact, they overlap and probably in sync more than you or I think. And that's encouraging to a lot of people. If you're a believer, I hope this will help you when you talk with friends and family who are maybe a little bit more secular in your thinking. You don't need to like shut the conversation down uh, when they bring up science. You should have great confidence and boldness that your faith, the Christian faith, is large enough to bridge both worlds. It's all God's domain. Archaeology, biology, geology, philosophy. If God created all of those hard sciences, then it should all speak of Him. So when you're speaking with family or friends or non believers, you don't need to like dig your heels in or, or get real defensive. No, it could never happen that way. The whole idea is, 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 to, be, is to open up to dialogue and actually be open handed. Um, candidly, I'll be honest, I find some of these scientific um, possibilities and these theories interesting. But I'm not going to die on them, okay? <laughs> when I get to heaven, if God says, it wasn't iron oxide, it was blood. Uh, I killed the Egyptians. I'm like, that's fine with me. <laughs> I believe he did it however he needed. But I can be open-handed enough because, you know what? I'm beginning to believe that God is bigger than my puny little mind, and all of it doesn't have to be explainable for me to trust him. I want to model to you guys kind of a humility to your faith that really says, hey, this could be how God worked, and at the same time, I could be entirely wrong. So humility is key here, particularly as you converse with the world and the culture, and that's the kind of faith we want to cultivate here at Liquid. Now, today, we get to kind of the fun part, the final sequence in the Exodus, how God finally delivers his people, the Israelites, 
from slavery in Egypt. Um, last week we saw how he kind of sucker punched, not sucker punched Pharaoh, but really nailed him. Plagues means blows, like a punch to the dome, with 10 plagues. And number 10 was that kind of knockout blow, the miracle known as the Passover. And that was kind of a very dramatic thing. Every firstborn child of the Egyptians, I finally got the paint off of my hands and my pants and all over the place. Um, but the Israelite children were spared because of the blood of the lamb that was placed on the doorposts of their, of their homes. In Old Testament times, God accepted symbolic offerings. Okay? In other words, Jesus had not yet been sacrificed on the cross, so God accepted the life of an animal as a substitute. And so the meaning for us was very striking, that, that there's life in the blood. The, the natural consequence of our, our sin, our imperfection is death, but when Jesus shed his blood on the cross in our place, something supernatural happened. By putting our trust in his sacrifice, God, what? He, he passes over our sin, and he gives us eternal life. That's called salvation. That's what faith is. It's trusting in the blood of Christ to save you, to, to cleanse your sin and actually clear the way for a relationship with God. First uh, Corinthians says God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that we could become the righteousness, the goodness of God. So 3,000 years after the Exodus, Christ is our Passover lamb. That's really the bridge to, to modern uh, uh, corollary. It was incredible um, for me to think about this because like Pharaoh, hard-hearted, what broke his heart when he lost his only son? Think of how that felt for God, okay, as it did for Pharaoh. Pharaoh was heartbroken. He's a wicked man, okay? He threw kids in the Nile left and right to drown them. But imagine God separating himself from his son. There was wailing throughout Egypt. His heart was broken, Pharaoh, uh, and he finally surrendered to God. But it says during the night, he summoned Moses, and he finally said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go, worship the Lord as you've requested. Take your flocks, your herds. As you've said, and what? Go. And you just look at those words. Up, leave, go, get out. Don't let the door hit you. And the exodus was underway after these 10 punishing rounds that he went with Yahweh. So Pharaoh releases God's people from his grasp and they begin their exodus. We're out of here from Egypt. So open up your Bible to Exodus chapter 12, if you would. And you can kind of scan the details of then how this goes down. The Egyptians were very anxious, actually, to kind of let them go. It says the Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country. For otherwise, they said, we will all die. So they were just like, we're done. We're enough with the frogs, enough with the flies, enough with the boils. Just get out of here, please. And they were so anxious, it says in verse 35, that the Israelites asked for something. They said, could you give us some parting gifts? Uh, articles of silver and gold and, 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 and clothing, and they actually plundered the Egyptians. If you can imagine, the people were just like, take everything, just get out of here. And so this is the cherry on top, to when, if, if you're a person of faith. When God goes to battle for you, he not only wins the battle, but the victory he brings is almost overwhelming. The Bible says that the Hebrews actually plundered the Egyptians, so from going from all this slavery to actually incredible uh, wealth. The, uh, verse 37, if you look at that, it says there are about 600,000 men on foot besides the women and the kids. Many other people went up with them. So this was a mass exodus. The total number of people actually leaving Egypt was probably around 2 million. And the reason we get that number is because you've got 600,000 men and uh, easily just as much women, probably more because for generations boys had been sacrificed in the Nile. There probably were also non-Israelites, other Egyptians who were just drawn to the Hebrews 
because of God's mighty works. They were like, we're not hanging around with Pharaoh anymore. We're done with Ra. We're following Yahweh. So this is a huge amount of people. And according to verse 40, all told, the Israelites had lived in Egypt about 430 years. So over four centuries of slavery and indentured servitude comes to an end right here. And the significance, guys, of this exodus cannot be understated. There's a reason we're spending three weeks on this. This, guys, the liberation of God's people, it's the central event of the Old Testament. It is core to Judaism, to Christianity, even Islam. Because it really introduces the main theme of the entire Bible, which is about redemption. You know what redemption is? It just means God's buying back his people. He's freeing them from sin and captivity, and he delivers them into freedom, into new life as the forgiven, free children of God. And that's what faith in in God is all about. As sinners, we're born in Egypt. That's where we live. (laughs) Welcome, okay, to Pharaoh's country. That's where we live in Egypt. But when we put our trust in Christ, who died and raised to give us new power, we can follow him wherever he leads. And this is where the journey gets tricky. Because in a lot of ways, um, this is a story about the birth of a nation, It's God giving birth to a people who he said, you're going to be my chosen people. You're going to be my treasured possession. When people look at you, they're going to get a sense of my goodness by your life. He's giving birth to a nation. Now, if you're a woman and you've ever given birth, you know it is a painful process. They call it labor for a reason. Uh, If you are a man, you're lucky. Uh, I remember when my daughter Chase was born, and when I saw that newborn baby coming. That's that, I, I got in there with a camera, and I'm like, Woo! and Colleen's like, what are you doing? And I took this picture, and that's my, my, my baby girl, Chase. And I remember, I had never seen anything like this. This child being delivered forth, and she's covered like kind of in blood, and it's very dramatic, her hand kind of stretching out for life. And I was like, this is a miracle. I have never seen something like this. It does not compute. And that's exactly what this is. This is the birth of God's people. For thousands of years, Jewish people have looked at this story of Exodus about a story of labor and delivery. Did you know this? When they see the plagues, they say those were the contractions. The Israelites went through the season of painful labor, literally 430 years of labor. And each of those 10 painful plagues were contractions, squeezing them out of the belly of Egypt. They were delivered with blood and tears. Blood, but delivery is a messy process. In fact, it's actually remarkable because it almost resembles death. And the blood of an innocent lamb gets shed. This nation is delivered with kicking and screaming and crying and weeping and wailing. And they're reaching for life. And the Jews come out of Egypt. And then finally, today, you're going to see what happens. The waters break. And as as you're going to see this, Jews have thought about this for a long time. that, That Israel actually had to pass through the what? Through the Red Sea. They were baptized before they could be delivered safely on dry land and become the people of God. So in Hebrew minds, this whole account is a story about birth. This is a, this is a birth story in, in Hebrew thought. Birth is truly miraculous. It's a, it's a natural phenomenon, but it has supernatural meaning. It's very hard if you are agnostic or atheist and you have a baby and you're just like, okay, that is a miracle. <laughs> and again, to us as Christians, believers in the new covenant, this mirrors how you and I are born again. You understand this? I've said Exodus is the story of you and me. The plagues in Jewish mind, is contractions. Our painful delivery from slavery and sin. We're saved by the blood of, our la- of the Lamb. Jesus is our Passover. He delivers us. And then once we're saved, what's a believer supposed to do according to Jesus? What? You get baptized. We go under the water to demonstrate new life in Christ. 
this new identity as a child of God. So sin, salvation, baptism, it is all here in the earliest pages of the story of God. And this is why Exodus is relevant to the 21st century. This is the spiritual birth process that each of us has to go through if we're going to be born again. I said this from the start. The story of Exodus is the story of all of us. So today, you're going to get to witness Israel's baptism. This is probably the most famous Bible story of all, the crossing of the Red Sea. And if you flip over to chapters 13 and 14, just quickly kind of we'll scan the account and then we'll discuss both the science and the spiritual significance behind it. Here I am in Exodus 13. Look at verse 17 and 18. We'll start there. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God led the people around by the desert road towards where? Towards the Red Sea. Now, there's a little clue in your Bible. Can you see it here at the very bottom of the page? It's called a footnote. Can you see it in mine? Probably not. Look in yours. It's right next to the phrase Red Sea. And at the bottom of the page, you will see in Hebrew, the word is Yam Suf, which literally means the Sea of Reeds. In other words, the Reed Sea, it sounds like the Red Sea. That's how it became popularly known in modern times as the Red Sea. But the ancient translation in Hebrew is really the Sea of Reeds that you can visit today in Egypt. So think about this. After Pharaoh let the Israelites go, he begins chasing them and traps them on the shores of a sea that the Jews called Yam Suf. And it's really here that the miracle occurs. Because all of a sudden, the sea parts, the Jews walk across to safety, and then, second miracle, the waters come back and swallow the entire Egyptian army, drowns all of the soldiers, all the horses and the chariots, And this miraculous account, you're going to see this in a moment, it is significant. Because God intentionally chose to lead his people through Yom Suf. And it wasn't the shortest route. It was not the safest route. But when God's leading you, when he's about to baptize you, and what it means to actually take a step of obedience and follow him, sometimes he leads us through deep waters. Sometimes he chooses a path in our life that actually I feel like I'm in over my head. So he gives his people a divine GPS, basically. If you look at Exodus 13, it says this. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a what? A pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night in a what? A, say it together, liquid. Pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. So this is like a divine GPS system that God gives his people to guide them. And again, if you recall, one of the main theories of the Exodus is that these phenomena were due to a series of earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, seismic activity that really shook the region. If that's true, it is entirely possible that the pillar of fire and smoke could also have a natural causation behind it. You're probably familiar with these images from the Gulf War. What are they? Burning oil fields. Obviously, the entire Middle East is an oil and gas-rich region. These are the oil fields of Abu Rudais, Egypt. It is entirely possible that God could have used these natural resources to provide guidance to his people. I want you to imagine Moses and his fires hundreds of miles away, and they see the, the pillar of fire by day and, or by night and a pillar of, of smoke, as the Bible says. And again, the idea here, guys, is that God doesn't always have to suspend the laws of nature to perform a miracle. Sometimes he manipulates them to protect and serve and supernaturally guide his people. So this natural kind of GPS or global positioning system, that's a, that's a possibility. But the question for us is more like, well, why would God take them this way? If it wasn't shorter, if it wasn't safer, I thought God, you know, wants to, you know, take care of us and lead us to the promised land. What, if it was longer, 
And his journey's fraught with danger. Why would he take him this way? And he answers in verse 4 of chapter 14. Let's read God's word aloud together. All our, all our campuses, big loud voice, it says this. I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And this is incredible. Because of in the midst of this daring rescue plan, that God's heart is that even his enemy would know him. Remember, this, this whole thing, guys, is not about us. It's a, it's a story of who? God. And God is like, I want to reveal who I am. I want to show you that I'm mighty to save. I showed you that last week. I want to show you that my love is, 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 will cost me my life, blood. And he wants to dramatically demonstrate this, not only to the Israelites, but to the Egyptians too. To me and you, in fact. That's actually why when you become a Christian, life doesn't all of a sudden get smooth sailing. Oh, now it's just tea and roses. Sometimes the journey gets rough. Sometimes he leads us through deeper waters. Because God's obsessed with two things. The first is gaining glory for himself. I want people to see me. But then I want to build up your faith. You're a child. I want to mature you. I want you, to, I want you people to see my saving power in your life. And that you actually trust me. That my heart truly is mercy and love towards all nations in fact i've often wondered at times like if pharaoh truly repented at this moment if he was part of the two million following moses out of egypt would that have changed the history of the egyptian empire probably but sadly pharaoh lets the israelites go free and then his heart becomes hardened once again you can read this let's read it together starting at verse 5 chapter 14 it says when the king of egypt was told that the people had fled Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. That's a great little moment, by the way. We've lost their services. <laughs> They're slaves. Lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, important detail, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea, Yam Suf. And as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were, what's the word? Terrified and cried out, to the Lord. Now I want you to just visualize this for a minute. Two million followers of Yahweh. They have just witnessed 10 natural disasters on an epic scale you and I will never see, okay? Blood, frogs, boils, volcanic ash, earthquakes. They've got blood covering their hands from their doorposts. There's a pillar of fire in front of them. And when they turn around, so they even can't believe their eyes. Because look at, oh my hell for heaven. It's Pharaoh with 600 of his special forces, his best chariots, probably thousands of foot soldiers and troops bearing down full speed on them. You talk about stuck between a rock and a hard place. On this side, there's certain death. On the other side, a watery grave, okay? So capture the emotion of this. In fact, to capture that emotion, I'm going to dust off an oldie but a goodie for you. You're in for a treat. I want to show you a clip from the 1956 classic. Yeah, old school. 
Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments. If you follow along in your Bible, it's amazing. He actually does a remarkable job of dramatizing the details. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you took us away to die in the wilderness? Fear not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord of hosts will do battle for us. Behold his mighty hand. the blast of his nostrils. Lead them through the midst of the waters. His will be done. He opens the waters before them, and he bars our way with fire. Let us go from this place. Men cannot fight against a god. Better to die in battle with a god than live in shame. Praise God and down into it! On the pursuit. There's so many things I love about that clip. First off, Pharaoh's like, dope. <laughs> it's kind of like, and then the woman who sees Pharaoh, she's like, I papi, Pharaoh. You know, she like takes off. But I love that hair, man, on Charlton Heston and that beard. Just awesome. But uh, this, let me tell you something. Now, I know you're all just like, oh, man, that's great. This is 20 years, okay, before Star Wars. This is all pre-GCGI, okay? There's no 3D special effects. And you know what? Audiences were like, wow, they had never seen something like that before, which is probably how the Israelites felt too. I want you to imagine this. The waters of Yansup suddenly piling up on either side, walls of water on both sides. In fact, the Bible doesn't say it magically happened all at once. That was actually fast-forwarding it. If you look at verse 21, we're given some very important details. I want you to see this. It says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and what? All that night, the Lord drove back the sea with a what? A 
strong east wind and turned it into dry land. Now, how did this happen? Because this is a very important detail here of a natural phenomena. Again, let's first look at the science, and then we'll talk about the spiritual significance behind this. There really are three theories out there that try to explain or make sense of this miraculous parting. First off, notice, by the way, that the Bible itself goes out of its way to give a natural explanation of this miracle. It, it, it actually said, it, the Bible says there was a strong east wind that what? Blew all night to drive the sea back. So the Bible itself is giving us an example of God himself harnessing nature, not defying it to actually save his people. But the question is, well, physically, how could this happen? Could it really happen? The answer is a resounding yes, according to a study published this past fall by the National Center for Atmospheric Research. Basically, researchers took this little meteorological detail and they did a computer simulation of the Reed Sea region in Egypt. And what they found was that a steady 63 mile an hour wind coming from the east, think, think hurricane force winds, would create a powerful storm fierce enough to actually push the water west to the far end of the lake up the river, okay? So think about hurricane-level winds, you know, when you see people in the weather chalk going, I'm just, I'm just woo, you know, I'm blowing away. And that simulation revealed that those winds would have, would have opened up wide mud flats that actually would have created possibly a land bridge high and dry for several hours, the path that Moses and his followers wide enough for them to cross on. Again, interesting theory, one of three that scientists have recently posited that help us understand the possible signs behind the scripture. Now, the second theory suggests that as Pharaoh chased the Israelites to the edge of the water, this extreme seismic activity, you know, the the stuff that caused the 10 plagues in 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 the Santorini eruption, actually would have caused something else to happen. And that is the Nile Delta, the shore, to actually begin sliding into the Mediterranean Ocean. I want you to imagine millions of tons of soil moving forward. This would have been the edge of the African plate being released from its weight, and it would have, the land would have literally risen between one and two meters. In other words, the sea parted. The effect would have been that water would begin cascading from higher ground to lower ground. So I want you to imagine if you looked at a topographic map, all of the pools, all of the sinkholes would have begun draining, creating dry land for the Israelites to cross on. In other words, maybe it wasn't exactly direct, but if you, if you think about these mudflats that would have been exposed and zeroed in, you would have actually seen two million people making their way, zigzag, sure enough, across the Reed Sea. And this is a fascinating theory, is it not? Because if there was an earthquake of this magnitude, we all know what a devastating impact an earthquake can have, especially for people living around the ocean. What did we see in Japan this past spring? That earthquake we saw hit in March. What happened? It triggered a what? A tsunami that claimed the lives of more than 20,000 people. Theory number three. What, what is a tsunami? Look at the description of Exodus 14, verse 22. It says, the waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a what? Say the phrase out loud. With a wall of water on their right and on their left. A wall of of water. Does that sound familiar? Does it look familiar? It should. The shelf below the sea collapses. The dry land is suddenly exposed. God's people are walking across the safety, and then Pharaoh's in hot pursuit when suddenly, what, 
what, what is that in the, in the distance? Is that thing coming towards us? What, what, what is happening? A wall of water? That's impossible. A wall of water powerful enough to wipe out an army? An entire city? That could never happen. Or could it? I remember seeing this footage on CNN of Miyako City in northeastern Japan on March 11th. In my mind, couldn't comprehend what I was watching. The, the, the scene of raw power in devastation and people just literally running for the hills all at once. See, a tsunami happens in two ways. Gradually, as the water goes out, then all at once, as it suddenly rushes back in. Sadly, that tsunami in Japan and Indonesia dramatically showed our modern world the raw power and destruction that comes when a wall of water is suddenly unleashed. Just let that sink in. I mean, I, it's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing to me. And 3,000 years from now, part of me wonders, will people read our history books and think, what? That's impossible. That, that, ne- that never could have happened. I mean, an earthquake followed by a tsunami, and then there's a nuclear meltdown that wiped the city off the map. That'd have to be some, like, you know, supernatural chain of events. Indeed. So the question is, which of these three theories is the right one? My answer is, does it really matter? (laughs) Seriously, do you really believe that if you could precisely pick which of these theories is most plausible, it'd give you faith to follow God into the ocean? (laughs) See, folks, the Israelites... They didn't walk into a wall of water because they said, well, it looks like to be about 63 mile per hour winds and some tectonic plates shifting that if you actually, they believed and they were saved because they had faith in the Lord. They trusted his word and they followed him and they took a step. That's what faith is. It's not nailing down every fact with a hammer. It's following God even when you're afraid. They were learning to trust the Lord in a very personal way. So the point is, folks, and the application of your life, is that all of this is not only entirely plausible in modern terms, but it underscores the length that God will go through in your life to demonstrate his power to save his people. This is about relationship, guys. It's always been about relationship. God says, I'm going to gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And even the Egyptians, even my enemies will know that I'm the Lord. After that miracle at Yom Suf, the entire ancient world knew who the Lord was. And the delivery, the birth, was complete. From plagues, the, the, the contractions that pried the Hebrews from Pharaoh's hands, to blood covering the child and delivering him, to water, waters breaking forth, Israel crossed over and was born again as the children of God. Are you following? Guys, this is your story. This is my story. This is the grand sweep of redemption, folks. It's all here. My story, your story, their story. John Piper says, God is most glorified when we're most satisfied in him. When we look at the world around us and we see God in all of it, we see his power, we see his heart, we see his desire to be known and work powerfully. And that love he showed his people in saving them from Egypt is the same love he showed us in sending Jesus Christ to deliver us from our slavery to sin. Amen? That's all God does. He's about bringing new life out of death. He's pulling life out of the jaws of death, and that's what Exodus is about. So this account, guys, should just stir your heart, should increase your trust, actually renew your faith as you just kind of take that in. 
and marvel at God's power and glory to save, deliver, and ultimately rescue his people. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, I could go on here. I could go on and on. There are, there are some amazing other tidbits. I've left out so much here that are very compelling. In fact, you can look into these further if you want. I'll leave you with one. For instance, verse 28 says the destruction of God's enemy was so complete that the water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. And then it says, hauntingly, let's read it out loud, not one of them survived. In other words, all gone. The mightiest military power in the, in the ancient world. All of their troops, all of their chariots, utterly swept away. Now, if they were swept away, there should be evidence, shouldn't there be? And in fact, several scientific expeditions have sought to uncover evidence of the drowned Egyptians. And back in 1978, a guy by the name of Ron Wyatt led an ex- expedition to the Gulf of Aqaba. That's actually, in, it borders Saudi Arabia. And he brought back photographs that kind of stunned the world. He brought photographs of oddly shaped coral clusters. Can you see this? This is coral. And if you can take a look at it, you're like, I'm not sure what I'm looking at. But if you look at it, you actually see the outline of what? A wheel with a hub in the center and one, two, three, four, five, six spokes. Do you see it coming out? And these coral formations of chariot wheels littered all the bottom of the Gulf of Aqaba. There are also calcified bones preserved by the coral. In other words, coral grows over it and then it disintegrates, but the coral remains. In March 1988, they actually returned and they photographed, they produced this video image. I don't know if you can see this. Take a look at this. It's purportedly a gold veneered four-spoke chariot wheel because gold actually does not calcify or decay. Now, they were unable to remove these artifacts because the Arabian authorities don't let anything be removed from the seafloor. But again, this is interesting (laughs) Because scripture indicates it wasn't just like dumb luck, that Pharaoh like, whoops, I walked into a tsunami. Verse 25 spotlights this little detail. The Lord made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. Again, compelling artifacts from all corners of the sciences. Archaeological, geological, biological, meteorological, theological, the evidence, folks, is overwhelming that this truly occurred. And I, and I could go on here. I'm just going to kind of wrap it up here because the truth is this, guys, and I hope you get this. Hear my heart on this. All of these possibilities, fascinating. Ooh, it's very interesting. I think my, you think you sprained my brain. All these theories, all these possibilities, these hypotheses, interesting, they don't amount to a hill of beans unless you have a living, breathing faith. If this doesn't increase your faith, although there are plenty of scientific reasons to believe, the point is not to put your faith in science. What's the point of this whole account? I'll let scripture speak for itself. Final verse, it says, when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people what? Read it, Liquid Church, out loud. Put their trust in him. They put their trust in God. The point of this whole story, the goal of this incredible experience, all comes down to a matter of trust. You know what trust is? Trust is when you have confidence in the integrity of something. You you look at it and you believe in the strength, the ability, the character of that person. You have certainty or complete confidence in their character. That's what we mean when we say, do you trust Jesus? Do, do, Do you trust God? I don't mean just like, do you believe in God? Do you believe God? Do you trust him? 
in a personal way. This is all about relationship, folks. Watch a, look at this picture. This, this is my four-year-old son. Uh, we were on vacation uh, by the pool. He was three or four at the time. I remember you can see he still has his pull-up uh, swimmies there. And at first, he was very nervous about setting foot in the water. And you could see someone, someone evil is squirting him in the stomach. And what you don't see is me over here with a super soaker. Yeah, he's kind of nailing that kid, you know. And, and he just, he, but he was scared because he'd never been in a pool before. And I was in the deep end. Daddy was soaking him with a super soaker. And he was like, no, I don't want to come. I was like, come on, man, come on, go, go. He's like, no, I don't want to go. You know, I was like, come on, just jump in, man. And he goes, no, I don't want to go. And he started walking away. And I was like, oh. But then suddenly he turned around and he closed his eyes and he leapt into my arms. Now, why did my son do that? Did he do a quick calculation? Well, the water appears to be five foot eight inches deep. My swimmies have an absorbency of about... The master daddy said, hey, no, he jumped because he trusted daddy, yeah? At the end of the day, in spite of his fears, the anxiety, the unknown, he believed I'd catch him. He trusted me. He had confidence in my love and my care for him, and he just went for it. Folks, that's a picture of faith. That's a picture of trust. That's a picture of what God wants with you. You are his child, and he's inviting you to trust the father. And follow his invitation into the deeper waters of life. That's what we mean. That's when I say, do you trust in Jesus? Yeah. Do you trust him? Do you trust God? Is he your savior? Is he your Lord? Will you follow him wherever he asks you to go? Because you have complete confidence in his character. It may not make all the logical sense. But you trust his heart. His goodness, his love, his integrity. You may be going through a tough time. I understand that. It may not make all the sense, and those facts don't measure out, and you may not get scientific evidence why that happened according until heaven. But if you can say with sincerity, I trust God, not just in my head, but in my heart, the Bible says you can be born again like Israel was and become a child of God. John 1.12 says, To all who received him, to those who believed in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become what? children of God. Folks, that's what it takes to be born again. That's what it takes to get out of Egypt in your life, in a spiritual sense. You got to trust God as your father. And the way you do that is by trusting his son as your savior. It's a father-son relationship, a relationship of trust that Jesus said, I'm going to go to the cross and the worst thing's going to happen. I'm going to go through my own Red Sea. I'm going to go through my own plagues. The blood is going to have to come from me. But I trust you, father. And I believe you're going to save people. You're choosing people right now to enter your family and become children of God. That's the whole point, guys. The Israelites would have died in that desert if they hadn't heard the word of the Lord and followed him into the water. Folks, that's the highest form of faith. It's not just believing there is a God generically, but it's obeying him personally. I will follow Christ wherever he leads because I trust him. I see God's heart on the cross. Even when it seems risky or too dangerous, I'm going to trust him, I'm going to follow him. And I just want to personalize that for you because, again, any of our campuses, if you're listening online, you may be facing a very trying situation, a difficult situation today, where you think, man, I think God's calling me out here. I think he's asking me to follow him. But if I take this next step, I will be in over my head. I'll have a wall of water on each side. I don't want to be a position where I'm out of control or I risk losing my safety. That's a slave mentality. That's a slave mentality. That's a spirit of fear. And the Bible says as children of God, he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of what? Of faith 
of love and of a sound mind. That's what true faith is. It is knowing, it is believing that God loves you, that Christ saved you, and the Holy Spirit's in you. And he's going to give you the power you need to follow him wherever he leads. Will you trust him that way? When the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord, they what? Say it out loud, Liquid. They put their trust in him. Do you trust him, Liquid Church? I want an answer. Do you trust him? Will you follow him? I pray you will. Let's bow our heads right now. All our campuses, bow our heads. Father, we thank you for this incredible story, God. You have been birthing people into forgiveness, baptizing them in freedom since the beginning of creation, God. And Lord, we see in Israel, we see our own story. We see our own sin. That's hard. But we faced that last weekend with the blood of Christ. We see our own fear. We see that today. But Father, we, we, we take that leap of faith and we run up a ramp of reason. We don't have to check our brain at the door to give you our heart. Praise God for that. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for every man and woman who might hear this series, this message, that you would begin building that bridge, Father, from their mind to their heart, the longest journey I'll ever travel, six inches, and we'll realize it's all about you. And it's all in Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for our salvation. I pray right now that you'll give your Holy Spirit to your people as they leave this place. Fill them with the courage, Father. Fill them with the confidence in your power that you are mighty to save and your love is eternal for them. We ask that in the name of Jesus. All God's people said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.